Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Report podcast. I'm your host, Vago Maradian. Our podcast is brought to you by Bell since 1935. Bell has been redefining flight. Learn more about its pioneering spirit at bellflight.com. Later in the program, the co-hosts of our Cavus Ships podcast, Chris Cavus and Chris Cervello, on what to expect from the Navy League Sea Airspace Conference and Trade Show that runs through Wednesday. But first, my good friend Byron Callen of the independent Washington research firm Capital Alpha Partners with a look at the week ahead and whatever else is on his mind. Byron, uh, good morning and thanks so very much uh, for uh, joining us as Navy League gets underway. I look forward to seeing you there, Bogwin, both of us taking some leather off the bottom of our shoes. Uh, exactly. It's all about the shoe leather. Uh, before we get started, our program today is brought to you by HII. HII is a trusted defense and technologies partner supporting all services in all domains and America's only builder of nuclear-powered aircraft carriers. HII delivering hard stuff done right. And speaking of Navy League, our coverage is brought to you by HII, Leonardo DRS, GE Marine, a GE aerospace company, and Helicon Chemical. Uh, Byron, last week was an extraordinarily busy one, uh, 14 uh, hearings. Uh, you uh, put together a great note summarizing, uh, great notes, in fact, uh, throughout the course of the week, last week summarizing. What is it? What were some of the key takeaways? What are the things that jumped out at you last week? Well, yeah, I think there was, there was a kind of a rush, Fago, to get as many hearings done uh, before the Passover Easter recess, which we've now started. Um, you know, the, the two keynote <clears throat> hearings were the ones between the House and Senate Armed Services Committee with senior DOD leadership. But, uh, you know, pretty much everybody had a bite at the apple this week. I think, you know, maybe this always happens, but maybe this is just, it's, it's a sign of the times. You know, from my perspective, there are a lot more kind of generic um, questions asked by senators and representatives. Some of the social issues uh, that have been so prominent in the news, there was a lot of general discussion about security threats. You know, obviously China, Iran, North Korea came up, but even, you know, the U.S.-Mexico border. Um, so it was, it was a little different, but, you know, as always, there are little tidbits that come out in these hearings that, from my perspective, uh, matter for individual contractors. Uh, and and uh, right, I mean, uh, as you mentioned, uh, Congress is in, on recess until uh, April uh, the seventeenth. What were some of those little tidbits, right? Those those nuggets uh, that you find most revelatory uh, and indicative, right? I mean, you you said there was a lot of discussion on social issues uh, that then also sets the agenda, right? Next week uh, or this week, I should say, uh, President Trump is expected to be uh, indicted by the Man Manhattan uh, District Attorney for paying hush payments, you know, that's likely to have an impact uh, on on the, the vector of the discussion as well, right? I mean, what were the elements you picked up and, and what do you think people should be paying attention? I think, attention? you know, one of the things that I called out, um, Air Force Secretary Kendall said during a House Appropriations Defense Subcommittee hearing, and I'll quote, he said, I don't think I've seen anything more disturbing in my career, maybe, than the Chinese expansion, ongoing expansion of their nuclear force. Uh, for decades, they were quite comfortable with an arsenal of a few hundred nuclear weapons, which was fairly clearly a second strike capability to act as a deterrent. So I just think, you know, he called that out. There was a separate hearing that was held um, by, by the Senate Armed Services Committee, kind of this whole question about nuclear deterrence. I, I just think, you know, maybe that's a, a theme that I think we're going to hear a lot more about, particularly 
you know, is basically the New START treaty, you know, it is effect. I think Russia has kind of stuck a fork in it. And so you really have to wonder, well, what's going to replace all this? Are we really going to enter a new strategic era? But, you know, there are a lot of other little things. I think, you know, some mixed news on the F-35 program. Uh, there was a comment during a Hask hearing about uh, Northrop Grumman fuselage production being a limiter um, in that program. Uh, there was an interesting discussion during that hearing about possibly, you know, could you take production rates above the 156 uh, annual deliveries that are targeted for 2025? Um, uh, Secretary Kendall also, again, talked about the Collaborative Combat Aircraft Program, um, which, you know, he said that that can be 25 to 50 percent the price of an F-35A. So an F-35A is about $82 million. That's kind of one of the first times I've heard a, a number put on a target price for that. And that's a pretty big program. You know, if you look at the uh, the future Air Force plans for how much they want to spend on this. Um, I could go on. I, I do want one other call out just because I think, you know, it could be in the news uh, later this month. <clears throat> um, uh, Representative DeLauro and Senator Blumenthal, both from Connecticut, asked about the uh, the FLORA, uh, the future long-range assault aircraft. Did I get that right? Future long-range assault aircraft? That's that's right. Just say it again as FLORA. Yeah. Yes. The, the uh, Both um, Representative DeLauro and Senator Blumenthal of Connecticut asked about the future long-range assault aircraft. That's um, There's a protest uh, that Boeing Lockheed had filed with the GAO and Representative Jackson of Texas also asked about it. So clearly the outcome of that protest has, has got a lot of attention from congressional delegations on both sides of whatever that uh, GAO decision is going to be. But I also think that um, I'm just drawing a blank on what uh, hearing this specifically was mentioned. Um, I want to say it was uh, uh, General McConville, but talk about hey, you know, both FLARA and FARA um, could be on the chopping block if the Department of Defense budget was funded in, in FY24 and FY22 levels. And that was something a lot of the Democratic representatives and, and senators kind of spent a little bit of time harping on, which is, hey, you got to really, you know, what does this mean to the Department of Defense if you get these cuts back to FY22 levels? Obviously, it's not good. But, you know, that was that was two specific modernization programs that were called out that would be in jeopardy if DOD was funded at those levels. Folks are uh, obviously we're going into Navy League uh, and we're going to hear from uh, Chris and Chris uh, later in the program about their thoughts on what are some of the messages we'll hear from Navy leadership. What are some of the things you're uh, going to be focusing on uh, this week, Byron? Mine are a little more esoteric, uh, Bago, I think. You know, I, I put a list in my uh, regular Sunday night note about, um, you know, some of the themes that I'll be looking for. I think, you know, one of the, the primary issues is just how are uh, particularly shipbuilders dealing with um, these capacity issues, you know, supply networks, labor. Um, you know, I think it's I think it's an issue that's well known uh, kind of across the board for analysts and investors, too. But you know, are there workarounds? Are they finding any any ways? Are they getting any help, frankly, from their customer um, on some of these issues? Um, 
Yeah, I'll be looking for perspective on pillar one and pillar two of the AUKUS agreement. You know, any nuance on what specific contractors are going to be doing. Um, you know, the FY24 budget included a Navy plan to buy new submarine tenders. You know, what are some of the design ideas? You know, we know what the budget numbers are, but what's the, uh, the state of play on that? Um, I'll still be looking for uh, kind of the, the overall state of play on autonomy. You know, where are we on some of these programs? How are some of the Navy experiments been going? Uh, you know, what, what's kind of the comfort level and what are the opportunity lanes that may be opening up? And as usual, Vago, I'll be trying to spend a little bit of time with, with the new entrants um, who, you know, have been an increasing force at these shows, Sail Drone, Andrew, Shield AI, uh, Rebellion Defense. You know, some of these companies are, they're all exhibiting there. Um, you know, what, what do they right. see? What are they saying? So um, there, there's a lot going on that, uh, you know, these new entrants, I think, you know, they, they're, they've certainly gotten pretty hefty valuations. You know, the question is, can they kind of grow into some of those valuations? And certainly Sail Drone, you know, has made some progress in, uh, in the work that they've been doing. Task Force 59, for example. Absolutely uh, fascinating uh, series of exercises that the Navy has been conducting uh, as it sort of explores all kinds of, of new technologies. Let me ask you one uh, follow-up question and get your sense uh, on this. We, we talked to Andrew Hunter uh, about the uh, AETP engine, uh, the uh, 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 program to develop a whole series of adaptive uh, engine technologies. Uh, it started as the alternate engine for the F-35, and it can be an F-35 engine, and something that GE and Pratt and Whitney are competing against uh, one another for that. And the whole key is to see whether or not we can actually open uh, more range uh, for the F-35, more power, more cooling, all of the things that are shortcomings of the current engine. And for a whole variety of reasons, in part, the Air Force ran out of money, but in part, uh, because the Navy's not all that interested in spending more money and 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 the new engine doesn't really work for the Marine Corps' F-35 Bravo uh, because the lift van has to be re-engineered and because of power and a whole bunch of other things. Um, that, that, that it's, it's just too high a thrust class engine. Um, it, is it legitimate to have concerns about the relevance of the F-35 program, Byron, Absolutely. if we're not if we're not going to invest in a new power plant, I mean, doesn't this basically say that if we're going to stay with the same engine, it, it really the focus is on NGAD and FAXX and yeah, actually absolutely. beyond 2030, it might not be relative relevant program anymore? Absolutely, Vago. I've, I've, I mean, I don't think this is anything new. I've had these conversations with people for years now about, you know, come on, in, in an Indo-Pacific campaign, you know, the F-35 range is a, is a gating factor. Um, I recall, I think it was uh, CSBA had done some excellent work on naval strike um, in, in a historic context. And, you know, that range is, it's certainly less than the A-6 and, and some of the other longer range strike aircraft that the Navy had deployed um, over the course of the Cold War. So I, I just find it it is important um, and it, it is going to raise, you know, it will raise more alternatives. And I just, I'll go back, you know, I think one of the interesting things that came out of AFA, uh, the, the Air Warfare Symposium that you and I both attended was the, um, you know, the discussion that Secretary Kendall had on, hey, we're going to, we're going to have to start looking at, you know, smaller tankers for distributed logistics in, in the Indo-Pacific. And so you see that right. kind of thinking. It takes a while to really take root, 
But the idea about putting a Airbus or Boeing size airliner, you know, out in 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 an arena where it is going to be more challenged, I I just think this whole question of range, you know, it's a whole different kettle of fish. And um, and so I would absolutely agree that uh, you know F thirty five is going to be fine. I think in a, in a lot of the contingencies, but that range factor um, is going to it it always has mattered, and it has been a limiting factor. Um, I mean, it's it's fascinating. We're spending a trillion dollars, but balking on six billion for a new engine that could give it thirty percent more range. I mean, I just find that right. I mean, it's it's sort of baffling when you when you uh, when you think about it that way. Um, and and by the way, so do you think this this bodes well for the KC three hundred and ninety uh, on which L three has partnered? Right. I mean, the sort of the twin engine competitor. Uh, to the C-130 that's grabbed some business in the Netherlands and, and elsewhere. Uh, uh, L3 struck a partnership last year at, at uh, the Air Force Association show. Do you think that that's the kind of airplane that might have some legs it for could. the future? It, it could. I think, you know, the Air Force is still going to be thinking through this. You know, could the, um, uh, you know, there, there are a whole range of, of options uh, that I've heard, including, you know, kind of one, I thought it was a very speculative idea, but hey, you're going to retire B-2 bombers, you know, <laughs> couldn't those be, those have a lot of tankage capacity, couldn't couldn't those fill in as a, a stealthy tanker? So I just, I think, you know, <clears throat> the name, the Air Force is clearly looking for some ideas. And I think, you know, the same is going to be true for, for the Navy, you know, right. how could the MQ-25 fit in that kind of role? So we'll see. Absolutely fascinating. We've got about a minute left. Walk us through what the key events uh, over the coming week are that the audience should be paying attention to. Well, obviously, Sierra Space, but, you know, there is an event that Atlantic Council is doing on kind of ground warfare in Ukraine and some of the lessons learned from that. That's a, a Monday event. And then on Wednesday, CSIS is doing a kind of, uh, you know, 9 to 3 p.m event or series of events on European defense. I think the, the CEOs of Leonardo and Leonardo DRS are going to be uh, speaking at that at that brief. And, you know, I think just kind of a whole spotlight on on European defense and kind of what, what's going on there and, you know, kind of integrating that a little bit more. I, I think that Bill LaPlante is going to be speaking there. So um, that will be an intriguing, you know, what does he say about uh, kind of this interoperability, interchangeability theme that he's been looking at. And, you know, how do you, how do you meld the two industrial bases a bit closer? Uh, I, I think that that is very, very noble, uh, noble work. And it's going to be fascinating uh, to hear. And, and, uh, and it's also going to be interesting to listen to Dr. Uh, Profumo and, and, and hear from Bill Lynn uh, as well. That's always great value. Byron, uh, thanks very much for joining us. Uh, have a great Navy League. Looking forward to seeing you over the course of the next uh, three days at this uh, amazing show. Thanks so very much for joining us. Thank you, Vago. And a word from our sponsors, Leonardo DRS and HII sponsor our global coverage. General Atomics Aeronautical Systems sponsors our strategy coverage. Ultra Intelligence and Communications sponsors our command and control coverage. And GE Aerospace sponsors our air and naval coverage.
And joining us now for a look ahead at the Navy League's annual Sea Airspace Conference and Trade Show uh, this week uh, at sunny National Harbor outside Washington, D.C., are the co-hosts of the Cavus Ships podcast, a must for anybody interested in naval and maritime matters, the one and only uh, and our contributing editor, Christopher P. Cavus, and Chris Cervello, who is also our uh, producer, a retired United States Navy uh, commander uh, and public affairs officer, who is also the co-founder of the ProVision Advisors uh, PR firm. And it's an absolute pleasure seeing you guys live and in Technicolor this week. Likewise, Margo. Yeah, same. Thanks for having us. Uh, all right, uh, Cervello, why don't you uh, start us off, right? What are some of the big messages we're going to he- be hearing from uh, Navy leadership? Obviously, uh, the Navy did well uh, relative to the other services budgetarily. Uh, Navy's got a couple of great get-out-of-jail-free cards. It uses the get-out-of-jail-free card recently in the 60 Minutes piece, uh, which worked out fabulously well for the United States Navy. Uh, walk us through what some of the big storylines we're going to be hearing from uh, leadership. I think you'll hear more of the same um, with regards to the budget and, uh, you know, the investments that uh, the Navy and the Marine Corps believe that they uh, they need. Um, they'll point out areas in the budget that they feel pretty good about. Um, I think from the Marine side, you'll you'll hear the commandant double down, triple down on the the need for more clarity on the AMFIB side. I'm looking forward to hearing uh, Ann Phillips, retired Navy Admiral Ann Phillips, who's the Maritime Administrator. Um, she's been more forceful about what she needs to be able to make sure that uh, the logistics side of any potential competition or conflict in, in the Pacific is taken care of. So I think you'll hear more of a forceful message than maybe you heard from her her predecessor. Um, and I think you, you know on the Coast Guard side, you'll hear from Commandant Fagan. Uh, you know, where, where they could use help as, as well. Be, beyond that, I, I, you know, you'll, you'll get programmatic updates. You won't get the, the level of detail that I think most of our listeners are used to and are looking for, um, but you will get, um, you know, you'll get some of those. Um, and, you know, I think the, the biggest benefit of all this, as you, uh, as you mentioned, is the opportunity to see friends, colleagues, mentors, you know, fill in the blank, um, live and in person uh, and be able to talk about uh, the Navy, the maritime environment, sea power, um, which is always a good thing. Uh, it is uh, very much. Uh, I mean, I look at these as family reunions. This is uh, one of the important Navy family reunions, right? Surface Navy Association and Submarine League uh, are are uh, the other two. Uh, Chris, you were very critical of Navy leadership uh, before uh, we did the same kind of conversation before Surface Navy Association for the paltry number of briefings. Um, one of the great things, uh, and and really hats off to the United States Air Force as as well as to the Army. The entire leadership makes themselves available to reporters uh, for for really meaty roundtables uh, where no questions are are, are off uh, or off the table. Uh, are you satisfied in the degree of communication we're going to be seeing from Navy leaders next week? Ooh, satisfied. A word I am not familiar with. Um, <laughs> a concept I'm not. Um, by, no, by the way, and everybody in the audience knows in the best possible way. But go on. Of, of course. Um, no, they, there's there. It's a smidgen better. Um, I mean, this has sort of begun in the last fall after submarine league and uh, Navy Secretary Del Toro didn't like uh, some of the things he heard there and and pretty much put out a put out a chill message warning something. Of course, didn't 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 put it in writing. There's no actual directive, but the the word definitely got out. Definitely got out, and it's loosened up uh, ever so slightly. It's not good. 
um, it, but it's better than it was at Surface Navy Association. So at least on the NAVC, Naval Sea System side, there are some more meaty briefings, at least from the SPY-6 radar program, um, which is a big deal. That's the, that's, um, uh, the new radar as part of the Flight, uh, Flight 3 um, uh, destroyers, and it's going on new aircraft carriers and new ships all around. Uh, there is an aircraft carrier briefing. There's a frigate briefing. There's an unmanned systems briefing. There are, there are other briefings as well, but what's not there, there are no destroyer briefings, which is really, 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 I, I think just shooting themselves in the foot. There's a lot happening with destroyers. The first uh, flight three, Jack Lucas is in the midst of sea trials. For, uh, that's, you know, I've been talking about this for years. It is the service combatant of the, of the, of the near-term and mid-term future. Um, it's at sea. We've heard nothing, about, nothing from the Navy, nothing from the program office about that. Um, we don't hear any. There's no DDGX, the next uh, generation. There's nothing about the destroyer modernization program, a $17 billion effort to update at least 40 destroyers. Nothing about that. Nothing about the um, major efforts now underway and under contract to modernize the um, Zumwalt class destroyers into a conventional prompt, si prompt strike hypersonic weapons ships. Um, that's all not there. The big discussion out of the um, uh, budget release and the early early briefings, the number one uh, topic everywhere is the, uh, the OSD's effort to kill off the existing LPD program, at least buy no more, and do something else that only they want and nobody else is asking for. Um, there's no explanation of the of, of frankly, you know what we're talking about here. The LPD program right right now is still doing uh, modified flight ones, you know one plus, and new flight two A ships. We won't hear anything about that, which really is a shame because it would it would inform this program much more than it is now. And that's and that's really what you get at is that people talk about all this stuff, but you know, are we informed? Do we know what we're talking about? And updated information is really difficult to, to come by when the program officials don't come out and do their briefings. It just deprives everybody. And by the way, the GAO, you know, if a GAO report does something good for them, but that's, that has a limited effect as well. The Navy, the Navy program officers deserve to come out and be heard and to inform people about what's going on. Uh, we don't have that. So, you know, pronouncements from on high from senior executives, from the Navy secretary or the under or the head of NAVSI is not, is, is woefully, woefully inadequate. And it's really a shame. Nav Air and Naval Air Systems Command is not a very robust program as well. It'd be nice to hear some, hear, to hear some more substantive briefings. So, um, you know, a little bit better, a little bit better, um, only because the, the recent past has not been good at all. So we'll, we'll, we'll see, but um, you know, panel briefings do not answer this bill at all. And anybody who says that it does is- well, I wanna ask uh, just a, a quick question of, uh, of both of you, right? I mean, it was a couple of weeks, the budget was still fresh when you guys joined us. We had a team discussion uh, on uh, the budget. Chris, is this, does this budget you know, is this getting is this budget getting better with with age? Uh, I mean, obviously, we're hearing what members of Congress have to say about this. I mean, I have to say, uh, Chris, okay. I mean, OSD is getting involved, but the Navy's the one telling it, right? I mean, the Commandant of the Marine Corps is the one who said, "I don't need big deck amphibs at all anymore." There was a little bit of walking that back. I I need the light amphibious warship. Uh, that's my priority. 
the Navy is lamenting it doesn't have enough ships, but is decommissioning as many of the LCS as it can get its hands on. Uh, right. I mean, ultimately, uh, Chris, and then Chris, Which you know, Chris? is this budget getting better with age? Because ultimately, you know, it's it's a reflection of what the service wants or doesn't want. And I don't think any other service could get away with what the Navy is managing to pull off here. Which, I would say their explanation is getting, um, is growing. I don't know that I would say better or worse. Their, their explanation has continued to evolve. Um, I, I would have given them maybe a C minus in how they explained, um, you know, the investments or requests for investments uh, when it was first rolled out. Um, I, I think that, you know, in subsequent events uh, or excuse me, in follow on events, they um, they explained that a little bit better. They did a little bit better in testimony. But I, I think that if you're a sea power advocate, if you if you believe that maritime forces working with air power are what uh, are going to prevent or win conflict in the Pacific, you'd like to see a better explanation of what was asked for. And then you certainly are going to look to the members of Congress to fill in some of the gaps that the administration and Navy leaders uh, put in the budget. I don't know if it's getting any better or not. The um, I really don't. I, I, I think because they didn't explain it well to begin with, this sounds... I'm sorry, you know, the, 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 uh, the, the old um, adage of I lost my homework, I forgot my homework, my dog ate my homework, my dad spilled coffee on my homework, whatever. Uh, you know, okay, why don't you say to say what's going on to begin with? Um, they're dribbling this stuff out. It, it lacks uh, credibility, whatever they're saying, whatever the real story is. I don't know. I have no idea what it is. And they've changed it and they've evolved it and they just don't come clean. So I don't know. You know, it's even even if, if it's coming from OSD, then somebody at OSD come out and talk to us and say exactly what the problem is. What is your problem with the current current um, program? Because there have been, been several major studies over the past three, four, five years, including the last major amphibious force study that was completed only in December that have you know, vetted the program as it exists now and was the program of record. So if there's a pro, you know, now we want to go back and study it again. What on earth is left to study and who wants to keep studying this? And what is the point? And we're not hearing that. And if, you know, the Navy's tongue-tied because they don't want to, you know, they're, they're, I think they're frankly just nervous and afraid just to say what's going on in, in plain English because this isn't necessarily coming from them. The uh, Commandant Berger is very explicit about it. He wants his 31 big amphibious ships, never walked that, that back at all. Um, he wants 38, you know, settled on 31. This program now will, will absolutely never get there. Um, nobody saves money by stopping a program. Nobody was talking about money and costs until now, until really after the fact. Oh, there are concerns about, about cost growth. What cost growth? Who's concerned? What are we talking about? There's no explanation for this. And, you know, now we have, you know, it's, it's coming out that OSD, you know, OSD is showing the Marines other ideas. The Marines are going, we don't want this stuff. Where is this coming from? We just studied this. How often do you have to keep going back and studying things? Who's doing what and why? And it was interesting that in the, the two hearings that I watched, the, both, both appropriations committees, the, the uh, defense, the uh, Senate and the House, I don't think there was a single word about the law, the light amphibious warship, um, which will be designated a landing ship medium, LSM. I don't think there was a single peep about that. There was a lot of talk about LPDs, 
amphibious transport docks, which is what we're talking about here. A lot of talk about that. Almost nothing about this new ship that was supposed to be, you know, the bee's knees or something. Nothing. So I don't think this is going, I mean, I don't, I don't see it going very well at all. There's a, you know, nobody really knows what the story is, clearly, because it keeps changing. Who, who do we talk to today? And I feel, I feel some sympathy for the leaders who are caught in the middle of this. But there are other leaders who are not coming out and not doing this. And not, you know, if, they're, if they're driving this, then we need to hear from them. And I mean hear from them. I don't mean leaks and stories in the media. It'd be nice if somebody actually came out and said, what is going on here? And we're not hearing that. Um, we have uh, got uh, about a minute uh, left. Uh, Cervilla, why don't you take it away? Uh, you guys are going to be doing uh, daily shows uh, from the show, no pun intended. Uh, what is it uh, that the audience should be tuning into because you guys have coverage Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then doing the weekly show as well? Yeah, so we'll uh, talk to some industry leaders. Some We tend to use these opportunities to highlight um, industry voices that we don't typically talk about uh, during the regular show. Um, you know, as somebody that uh, was in uniform for 20 years, I always found that, um, you know, not only was there a family reunion environment, but the opportunity to walk around and learn um, about what industry was doing and to learn from them. Um, that's going to be our, our approach. It's an approach we've taken at a number of these shows and seems to be popular. Guys, uh, thanks very much. Looking forward to seeing you both there. Thanks very much again, guys. Thanks, Vago. Thank you.